0: This is a recording of a live Resolution Foundation event. We hope you find it some combination of interesting or entertaining. To read the research and access the event slides referenced in this episode, please visit the events section of our website. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this Resolution Foundation event. I'm Torsten Bell, I'm the Chief Exec of the Foundation. Now, not only are you welcome, but there is some welcome relief tonight. First of all, it's cooler in the basement here than it is in the offices. People are literally dying upstairs in the Resolution Foundation offices. The um, it's a serious problem. But it's also an evening of light relief from surging interest rates, being told that your mortgage bill is going up by £2,900 if you've got a mortgage. Hands up in the room if you've got a mortgage. Lifestyle errors. Hands up in the Who's a youth? There's some youth. You look youthy. The, um, this could be good for you in the medium term, but I'm not going to lie. Don't buy a house right now. Okay. Anyway, but this evening is Light Relief from Mortgage Hell, which is what I spent all day um, talking about. So it's Welcome Relief, sorry, but not Light Relief. And the reason it's not Light Relief is we're going to talk about Material World by Ed Conway, economics editor at Sky News. It's a big book. Look. But not heavy.
1: Not he- well, physically I'm heavy. I'm my whole intro is oh, okay. it, heavy. Right. So
0: okay. <laughs> just shush for a second. It's a heavy book about heavy things, materials, specifically sand, salt, iron, copper oil and lithium. I'm not sure if they're all heavy, but we'll find out in a second. um, And it's got big arguments about this stuff matters, that we don't talk about it a lot, even though it shapes our lives, shapes our world, um, and that we should stop doing that. The, um, so big book uh, and big arguments. So we're going to give it some attention tonight, even if people haven't been paying attention to materials enough over the last few years. So first of all, Ed's going to give us a summary of what is in the book, but not so much that you don't buy it because you can get it upstairs for £22, which is a bargain during a cost of living crisis. That's about 30 seconds worth of heating your home, which you won't do anyway <laughs> due to the heating crisis. Then um, I guarantee you'll learn something. On, I think I probably learned something I didn't know most pages, and that's not because I'm exceptionally ignorant, although that is also part of the reason, it's because it's just loads of interesting stuff about things that you don't spend most of your time uh, thinking about. I was thinking before, what's a, lot, a, a book by a kind of economics-related person that's come out recently that's most unique? This is probably the like thing that I read Thought I haven't actually read anything like this. I've read like really boring stuff about supply chains where you get bludgeoned over the head quite a lot. But this is like really, really interesting stuff. And then we're gonna have a discussion about it. And you guys can ask questions in the room. You do it like this. Uh, and if you're online, you go onto Slido and it's hashtag material world. And we'll be chatting through
1: all of that. So that is the plan. Ed, what is in this book? Shall I do that? And, and what, when do you want to do the special trees?
0: Mm,
1: well, let's see if they earn it first. Okay, guess. all right. We'll do a little bit of t- uh, chat first. So so thank you, Torsten. Thank you for, for, for everyone for coming here uh, and everyone online as well. Um, yeah, it's a funny thing. So so I cover economics, uh, as you may know, for, for Sky. And... Um, we spent a lot of the last kind of few years doing this, you know, the pandemic, the supply chain crisis, the cost of living crisis, all of that. And in a weird way, this researching this book has been a bit of a light relief. I know that sounds odd, given as Torsten said, it's kind of heavy in certain ways. Um, but what's been fascinating about this is looking at very familiar stuff, the economy. And also, just the modern world. It's not really an economics book. By the way, one of the, the issues that, we're, that we've, the publishers have, is trying to kind of categorize certain books and, and working out into what category uh, they would fall. And, and no one's quite sure where this, this one particularly falls, because it's not, it's not really an economics book, it's a bit. Uh, it's not really a geology book, it's a little bit, though. Uh, it's not really about material science. There's a category called geology books. There's, there's, a cate- there's a category, funnily enough, there's a category for everything. And I know this because on Amazon right now it is a number one bestseller. Bestseller for I think economic geology. Excellent. If there's such a thing, <laughs> you're a massive. Uh, fish random in other that very small. Pool I know. Floor. And chemistry. My my GCSE chemistry teacher would be you know, aghast to see that. Uh, it's the number one bestseller on chemistry. But anyway, the the point is this: this was an attempt to look at familiar stuff. You know the world as we as we kind of inhabit it and the world as we know it from a slightly unfamiliar perspective, and that's via. Six materials without which we couldn't really kind of make the world as we know it. And it started, I guess, so, you know, experientially what happened was I went to to visit a gold mine. I was making a piece for Sky News. I went to visit this gold mine and I was just taken aback by the scale of destruction necessary just to get a few uh, ounces of gold out of the ground. Um, But then I kind of found myself from that thinking, well, what do we do to the earth to get stuff that we really need. I mean, it's not that we don't need gold. There's certain functions that gold plays uh, in electronics and some in science and health. Um, but for the most part, most gold is essentially ornamental or monetary. You know, we, we buy it in order to, to, to wear it or to put it away. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, what, what does it take to get the stuff we actually need, the stuff without which we would all be essentially dead or at least civilization wouldn't be uh, going as we know it? Uh, and that started me down another track, another kind of question, which is, OK, well, what are those things? And the funny thing is that the economics, you know, looking through GDP uh, and all of the various other statistics that I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, there weren't very many kind of easy, obvious answers about kind of importance and our dependence on certain things. You know, the price of copper is, is, is relative, relatively low compared with other, many other things. Uh, the price of oil, ditto. Um, and yet we know, that, we know kind of instinctively that we need this stuff to survive. And so thus began this kind of long journey looking, trying to look at the world through these uh, materials. And the materials in question are sand, and from sand, you know, we can talk about silicon chips, but you can also talk about cement and concrete. You can talk about glass, which is the very first thing I, I, uh, I cover off and I thought was gonna be this relatively straightforward short chapter about the history of glass turned into this incredibly long 15,000-word chapter. I've, I've cut it a bit since, uh, unfortunately. But it's incredibly interesting, both because glass is one of our very first advanced technologies, thousands of years old, and yet we're still using glass, advanced forms of glass, for the optics that we need you know, to, uh, in, in many scientific fields these days, uh, as well as borosilicate glass that goes into test tube uh, vials and indeed vials that contain uh, vaccines all the way through to these incredibly advanced lenses that you use to make silicon chips these days. If you're making a silicon chip, you need to beam a very powerful laser using something called extreme ultraviolet light. And there's a whole chapter on silicon chip manufacture. Although the difference in this, you might have read a few, there are a few books on silicon chips, but the difference here is that rather than just looking at the actual chip, we're going all the way to the quarry and looking at where it comes out of the ground and all of the different processes that happen to it before it becomes this most advanced piece of uh, technology but you still need glass in order to bounce the lasers off that then become you know that then kind of beam down and create these incredibly small infinitesimally small transistors in the chip and first of all i find that kind of mind blowing and i find so many of these different kind of avenues that i've gone down i've done i've done some i'm going to go through the others quickly and then i can finish my spiel and talk about questions um, but so many of these avenues you go down, you find yourself suddenly, you know, you understand a little bit more about how stuff is actually made, you know, the physical kind of surroundings of the world. And I found that kind of like weirdly, almost kind of spiritually heartening, because I think we have kind of disconnected a bit from the physical foundations of our world. We live in this, for many of us, we work in dematerialized sectors. I, I'm, you know, the, the archetype of that. I work in services sector, I, I kind of talk big ideas. Sometimes I write them down and make TV. I went to a gold mine literally to film a piece for Sky because I was taking an abstract idea and trying to turn it into something you know that you could see on the screen. I am the ultimate in what I would call the ethereal world. But then you suddenly understand more about this world, about how things are made and how they get to us. And that includes supply chains. It includes themes like industrial strategy, which you know perhaps we can talk about because I think some lessons in here for, on, on that and you feel you're reconnecting. And that's uh, one of the weirdest things that f- happened for me. And I'd be curious, you know, for, for many of you, if you come to read the book, if, if, if that is also that comes, something that comes across. Anyway, sand, fascinating, so many different things, the oldest technology and the newest as well. Um, salt, we don't just sprinkle it on our chips, it turns out. We don't just use it as a condiment. It has many, in fact, it's most interesting properties. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of historical, great historical stories about salt. But for me, the thing that's still kind of mind blowing is that when you look at a map of the UK and look where the chemicals plants are, they are invariably built on top of the salt. So, you know, that same way that you can look at a map of the UK and look where the coal is and then you see those industrial areas and you also it's those kind of maps of deprivation that you've probably seen uh, related to that, look at the salt. Because where the salt is, the chemicals firms are, and that's not coincidental, because they are mining the salt. Today, even now, in the UK, we are mining millions of tons of salt to use for our chemicals and our pharmaceuticals industry. We, are, we mine it. And we didn't think about this stuff, um, but salt mining remains a massive part, uh, well, not massive in, t- in monetary terms, but a big part of our economy. Um, and. Uh, iron, you know, we all are probably more familiar with iron. But you know, if it is if it is not made of steel, it is made with steel. It is still the ultimate tool. All machinery, all machinery, is made of steel, one form or another, uh, for the most part. And so, our reliance on it is massive. And what's interesting with steel and iron, by the way, is iron is still one of those areas where China has desperately, desperately tried to build an iron ore industry of its own, and it has basically failed. It is still importing crazy amounts. Of iron from Australia, um, and so then you're into this kind of geopolitical story about you know countries that still do rely on others for, for minerals despite their best efforts. Um, and by the way, you know the, the whole, there's the whole semiconductor thing as well, and China trying to build a semiconductor industry. They haven't really got there yet on that. But what's interesting too, and you'll know that. So you'll know this if you'll have read um, Chris Miller's book, Chip War, which is fantastic on semiconductors. So you'll know that China's struggling. Uh, to compete with uh, Taiwan when it comes and South Korea when it comes to those tiniest tiniest transistor um, microchips, but they're also struggling to make the purest silicon wafer. And if you're going to make the most advanced semiconductors, you need the very purest silicon wafer. And it turns out, actually, that's technology that China hasn't cracked either. But we don't, you know, talk about that because people don't delve down into the material world uh, as often as I think they should. Um, so iron. Uh, salt, sand, and copper. Gosh, copper. I love copper. I think copper is one of my favourite ones because I just think it's underrated. We don't we we don't think we'll talk enough about copper. Um, but I think that's mostly because it's sheathed away behind wiring. Um, and yet, if we are going to achieve net zero, we need crazy amounts of copper. Crazy, crazy amounts of copper. Have you ever seen the cables that take? Power from wind turbines offshore wind turbines to the to the shore you know you 've got massive kind of bigger than baseball bat diameter uh, big bits of slabs of copper basically in the middle you need immense amounts of copper and in order to get copper, you have to build massive massive mines and dig massive mines and right now our, our, our appetite for ma- digging those mines is basically going out of the window so Um, we, we need a lot of copper and it's really interesting. And also within that copper chapter, I talk about deep sea mining, which is nice and controversial too. Um, oil and this is by the way, throughout this book, um, one of the things that came across and I was, I was writing this, I started writing in 2020 as a kind of almost light relief during the pandemic. And um, one of the things that kind of came across as I was going through each chapter is like, God, how much of this stuff is basically a story about energy? You know, it's a story about our deployment of energy to, tran- to, to uh, transform simple substances into complex sub- substances. So all the way along this book, what you see is it's hopefully trying to explain not just what, we, what these materials are and what we do with them, but also the various energy transitions that have led us to the era that we're in at the moment. So the iron, the iron chapter, for instance, isn't just about iron, it's also about the industrial revolution, which in turn is about coal and about how coal came along and before Coal came along, and we started to use coal as a form of uh, fuel to, to, to convert iron ore into, into steel. Before that, we um, were using charcoal, and people were terrified. And charcoal, obviously, you get from wood. People were terrified. This is one of the first great ecological catastrophes or, or, or panics. People were terrified that we were going to run out of forests. We were going to completely denude the forests throughout England, and it was looking like we were. And interestingly, France, with with its which had m- many more Uh, acres and square miles of forest than England at the time, continued to use wood. We shifted to coal in order to prevent this ecological catastrophe. Coal, you know, the most demonized, and understandably, because it's very carbon intensive, but coal, the most demonized of all the fossil fuels, saved us from an ecological catastrophe in the kind of 17th century. And you see that happening again and again and again. You see it happening with oil, which is the next thing I was gonna talk about. Um, and who knows whether we see it also with lithium. Um, but the arc of the book hopefully is one that takes you not just through these materials, but also through the energy transitions that we've been through in the past, and most importantly perhaps for, for, for you know, the current kind of conversation, the one that we're going through at the moment, which is trying to uh, replace these quite energy-dense sources of energy that we're using at the moment, whether that's oil and gas, And also, they're important feedstocks for things like fertiliser, because by the way, um, basically all nitrogen fertiliser is made from gas. And when you see people holding placards up saying you can't eat oil, well, we do, we do eat it. We are literally eating oil and gas every day, because all food that has fertiliser has come from fossil fuels initially. You know, physically, that's how we get fertiliser. And without fertilisers, you know, I like organic food, I love it. But pragmatically, without fertilizers, we couldn't sustain half the planet's population. So we need this stuff. And we need to think if, about how we're going to actually replace that fertilizer with something that we can do sustainably. And so that transition isn't just about building enough you know, renewable resources. It's not just building, about building enough wind turbines, which, by the way, need a lot of steel a lot of steel a lot of copper like I was saying they need a lot of fiberglass which you use you know which you get from sand interestingly um, which you use a lot of gas to make um, it's not just doing that stuff it's also about reimagining the whole suite of different chemical achievements that we have made as a, a species over the course of the last two three hundred years and thinking about how to do it again without emitting carbon that as your' as you'll notice as you read this book, is such a big deal. It's a bigger deal than I thought it was when I started researching this. It is, I think, an underappreciated deal. You know, we blithely sign up to these things, we blithely say we're going to be able to get to them. We need to start thinking about how we're actually going to do it, and how we're going to do it is going to be pretty tough. Um, So that is, I mean, that's my spiel, really. Is that enough of an intro? Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think they deserve the prize now.
1: Okay, so the prize is- For turning up in person. Yeah, for coming. I'm sorry, online online, online viewers. But um, I've, got some, I've got some samples. I've got lithium. Does anyone want some lithium? Don't nick it, do not steal the <laughs> I've stuff. I've got some lithium. Just pass it around. So this is lithium carbonate. I know what you're thinking.
0: <laughs> no, this is an innocent place for this, innocent
1: people. This is, and it's a drug as well. This okay. is a drug as well, because is, is lithium is also a drug which alters your mood. Some people think we need to put lithium in tap water, in a positive direction. When I was walking around the lithium, yeah, exactly, have some, you need it with the mortgages. I need it for the mortgages. Um, when I was walking around the lithium refinery uh, and, I, and the whole place was kind of caked in this strange cloud, I was thinking, God, I'm, I'm probably ingesting lithium. And then I felt more relaxed because, you know, lithium is supposed to be quite good for you uh, in, certain, told you you'd in, learn in things. certain quantities. So that's lithium. Shall I just pass these yes. around? Okay, yeah, please all right. so, Thank there you. we are. So you pass, pass that along. So that's lithium. Um, well we have got. got uh, what do you want? Okay, sand. We want all of them. there's six to get through. I know, but I haven't. What I haven't brought is iron. Okay. Because oh. I didn't bring iron because it, it's 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 a bit stainy and it makes everything <laughs> it's your fingers stained. get a bit red. So you know all know what iron right. looks like. Don't we've it? got two. We've got two types of sand. One of them is a beach sand. Okay, quite angular, good for construction, uh, good for making new land. Um, is, this, is this British beaches? Or you this is it? actually Portuguese. This is this is that the is last the Conway holiday. Literally no patriotism <laughs> at all. Not even British sand. Not, no, hold on, hold on. Cause okay. this, this is some of the finest, purest sand in the world. It is Scottish sand, okay? From yeah, exactly. God, it's the best sand in the world. Um, it is Scottish sand from a place called Loch Allen, which is a very Obscure, it, it, it is miles from anywhere, but is one of the purest sands in the world, and you you can make amazing glass with that glass that is some of the purest, and also, and, and you, you know, great lenses, but also silicon carbide inverters come from that, which are going on satellites, they're going into your Tesla to make it more efficient. All starts with this kind of sand. Come right, on, let's get around. Okay, right. So here we are. More of that and make sure they get distributed and kind of go There's across. no gold, because gold's not on the list, anyone that was getting. Sorry, like, there's no gold. Excited at the back. Here's something that looks a bit like gold, OK? Ah. So this. This is what they came for. Yeah. Do you, do you have interactive things like this? What? Do you have things to hand around? Do you have a hand around mortgages and, you know? No, yeah. No, yeah. No, exactly. no, 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 we do, exactly. we, do, we do charts. That's all you, you get. Charts, yeah. Today, you get whatever that is. <laughs> I was going to bring some charts, but I decided not to. Uh, this, this kind of slightly gold-looking thing is actually, it's called chalcopyrite. And it's copper. It's a copper ore. And this comes from a mine called Chukikamata, which is the, um, by, some, by, by some standard, there are various different kind of measures of this, but it is the biggest copper mine in the world. One in, I think, one in 13 or one in 14 of every atom of copper in the world came from this mine. Like and the, the, with it's copper, like a
0: really prolific sperm it's it's
1: yeah it's everywhere it's everywhere. But we don't really know. We, we recycle a lot of this stuff. But this place has been going for a um, hundred years, more than a hundred years. Okay. Where is, where is that? This is in Chile. Sorry, so Chile.
0: Basically, okay. everything is in Chile. Okay. We'll discover so a, a lot of a lot of things. I can catch. I
1: can catch. So because um, it's got strange geological, yeah, Chile. So Chile, you know, you have got the Andes, and you're on the Pacific, you know, Ring of Fire. So a lot of a lot of stuff that's kind of coming up through the ground. Um, is uh, is in Chile, but then also lithium. Very strange kind of uh, environments in the Atacama in particular, very dry, and, you get, and, and you get lithium there. Uh, what else? Oh, no, I do have... That's another bit of copper. Okay, that's two types of copper. This is copper oxide, but you can see... because That's what of, we're used to seeing. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's the green one that is slightly um, oxidised. Okay, what else have got? Come on, i some questions. Okay, now final one, final one. This is the pièce de résistance. Ah. Oh, God. Okay, this is... Crude oil from the North Sea. Okay, and what's cool about this? When you see it, kind of come around. Okay, don't spill it. Or yeah, do it. not open it. Do not open it. We haven't got health safety. It's coverage, actually dangerous. It's, I'm just trusting you guys. Who's liable? Am I liable? You're definitely liable. I've not touched okay. it. All right. <laughs> so this, this is. Uh, it's, I've just noticed actually, it's made by the the glass here is made by this company that I talk about in the book. Anyway, because um, I'm obsessed with glass. This is North Sea oil from a place called Ekofisk, which is a Norwegian in the Norwegian part of the North Sea, one of the very first Again, oil fields. We've literally got British oil fields and you went to the Norwegians. Yeah, I did. I okay. say it as a Swede. This is light, sweet, crude, okay? And what you'll see when you kind of, you know, play with it, is you'll see it's really, you know, it, it's light. It's, it's not especially viscous, okay? And that matters. And that's kind of interesting. Light and sweet. So sweet is the amount of sulphur that you do or don't have in it. So sweet means it doesn't have much sulphur in it. This stuff is the best oil. Okay, sorry to, but North North Sea oil in general is the best. Okay, so so, not, so the reason like that Brent is, although actually kind of a lot, there's a lot of Texan Shell that's pretty good as well. But what's interesting is that the um, the stuff that we're going for now. So you've probably read about Cambo and some of the West Shetland oil fields that are kind of there's there's a lot of controversy about whether we're going to kind of go there. That stuff's a lot thicker. It's a lot thicker, and. Oil refineries in our country are pretty good at refining this stuff. They're not so good at refining the thick stuff. And also with the thick stuff, you have to heat it up quite a lot to transmit its places. So there are some very legitimate reasons to be a bit skeptical about things like Cambo that aren't just about stopping new investments. We're gonna come back to that. Um, So there we are. So crude oil. That's part of my my trusting.
0: Once they've circulated, let's have a safe zone over here. (laughs) Right. Okay. So there's loads there. um, they're, I was thinking as you were talking, I've got some really substantive questions. But, but before we do the substance questions, while everyone's looking at their kind of oil or whatever, when you were talking about um, what you call the ethereal world and then you were a little dabbling with the material world and that making you feel like a better human being that kind of Yeah, a little bit. That, so everybody else deals with that by doing pottery classes.
1: Is <laughs> yeah, it, is or it, carpentry. Is,
0: is, books basically, is this book basically your midlife crisis? Yeah, pottery maybe. Pottery class slash
1: carpentry? Maybe, maybe. I think we've lost touch with some of that stuff though. I think we have. And I think, you know, like see yourself, some of us working with our hands. Well yeah, no, that's true, that's true. But I think that the thing is that there's fewer and fewer, and this is one of the one of the reasons why, you know, copper's pretty cheap and why the, the prices of these things have remained relatively low despite the fact we have basically mined out the easy stuff. So, you know, you see that with everything, you see it with oil, the energy return on investments that on, on energy invested. So the energy that's coming back from every kind of bit of energy you're putting into getting, getting it, it's got tougher. It's got tougher to get this stuff out of the ground. We've got the easy stuff already and yet we haven't run out of any of it. And, and spoiler alert, I don't think we're going to, and that's one of the interesting stories here is that we just get better at getting it out of the ground. The flip side of that, two things, massive holes in the ground. So, the scale of the, you know, I was talking about how this began when I went to a gold mine and thought, blimey, that's enormous. The scale of destruction in copper mines is well beyond that. The scale of the holes that you see in the ground. The copper, the biggest holes. The copper, the biggest holes. And that's, that's another thing, by the way, um, which is that you look at the data. So, I'm kind of data, quite a data forward kind of guy. And you try and find data on things like this, you know. How much of the earth are we moving to to get stuff? There is no data. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You kind of have to imply it. You see, there's there's pretty good data on the amount of steel that we have, that we mine each year. And I don't know if you've seen, there's some great infographics you might have seen on Twitter, on social media showing, you know, here's here's a massive slab of iron visualized. And then you see a little bit of copper and then you see a little bit of aluminum and all these other things. And you see, and it looks like it's all about iron. But because iron is very pure, uh, very, generally speaking, when you get iron out of the ground, it's kind of 60% purity. So iron ore, 60% iron in there for the most part. Copper is kind of, you know, below 1%. You've got to dig up a lot. So you have to dig a hell of a lot. So those holes are massive. And we need, and I was saying, you know, copper is one of the exciting ones for me. We need so much more copper if we're going to fulfill all of our grand promises about electric cars. Because you, you need a lot of copper, more copper in, than lithium in an electric car, by the way. Um, and so the holes have, we have to do more holes. Um, but the final thing that, you know, the reason I think it's kind of, it's therapeutic and also it's, it kind of matters that we start thinking about this stuff. There's fewer and fewer of us working within this world because we've automated it so much. You know, this is the area, this is, you know, the the field where you have enormous trucks that can carry 400 megatons of Uh, of whatever it might be, of copper ore or iron ore, um, and one person driving them. There's fewer and fewer people working in the material world getting us the stuff that we need to keep us alive. And given that, is it any surprise that we kind of take it for granted? Is it any surprise that we don't think about it that much? I don't think so. But then when you start thinking about that, you realize, A, how amazing it is, the stuff that we can do, you know, turning, turning pieces of rock into silicon chips that are so intricate that you literally can't see a transistor. This is another thing that blows my mind every time I think about it. I think it's it. best not to think about this, actually. No, it's so amazing. You know, you know those pictures those pictures you, you've seen probably um, of an old, I don't know, kind of Pentium-era chip where it's been magnified and you can see all of the transistors and you see, you can't really kind of, no, you can't really see the transistors but you see there's little tiny things going on and it's really, oh that's amazing and you can, it looks like the most intricate thing you've ever seen. These days, if you try to do the same thing, you would just see a sheet of silicon. You just don't see any detail at all because the size of the transistors, you know, it's a few nanometers these days. In practical terms, it's a bit more, but even so. The size of the transistors is smaller than the wavelength of visible light.
0: That's why it's better. I mean, it's it's. it's, it's no it's, one knows what that means. <laughs> but anyone that it I do know. It means it means. Gonna upset it, it your means mind. This guy's got, head's blowing up in the front
1: row. It means if you got if you got the best optical uh, microscope in the world, the very, 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 very best, and pointed it at a chip in your smartphone, the smartphone that you're going, oh, it's a bit slow, you point it at that chip in your smartphone, you can't even see one of the transistors because it's too small. Even in a micro, you need an electron microscope to see one of these little, you know, switches, the transistors, and that's just mind-blowing. So there's a lot of mind-blowing things in there that I think I think, are kind of amazing. There's and you- quite a lot, that comes across clearly, They're like. The like, I have been wowed by my yeah. engagement. But were you wowed or was
0: it just like Ed's being a bit too wowed? No, us? I was generally wowed, specifically on the chip. Yeah, the chip um, thing. Isn't that's it? not good for people to think yeah. about, because it's like, it's, like, it's like thinking about the universe.
1: OK, well, how about, can I, can I, can do, I, can I, I do one more scary thing?
0: Well, I, I, well can we get, I, okay. well, I, I, well, I, okay. right. I want no, no, to okay, it, no, get my will to live life. But then, no, on this productivity point, so one thing you come across, let's do a few things where your book is throwing up some big questions. And then we'll do the policy implications because there yeah. are some. So yeah, on the yeah. big on the big question, the one you're raising there is basically the productivity growth question. Mm. Yeah. So we have become very productive at this stuff, which is why it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. The um uh, which is another reason why we don't talk about it very much. Maybe you'll we'll take it very seriously because it is so cheap. Yeah. There yeah, and we treat price as the signal of status for the thing as well. Exactly. So, so it's very cheap. It's productive. Productive is what makes it cheap. That is why we're rich as a world. Yeah. Right? So like so there's big pluses to that. But you get quite angsty about the lack of jobs that come with that. And yeah. one thing that I came away reading the book is, there's lots of books, right, about how the economics of manufacturing decline mm. are a big deal for the economic geography of advanced economies, right? Fewer workers in them because of productivity, growth also in their sectors, plus trade, but but productivity growth, what that does to economic geography is a big, everyone talks about that all the time in economics. They, um, hardly anyone talks about the extraction side of basically yeah. the same phenomena, Yeah. The set, which as a result means, one thing that I found slightly weird reading the book, given what I normally spend my time reading is it is basically a book about machines, not about workers. Yeah, It's it about is, like right. the massive truck yeah. with the, what, how big are the wheels of the one in the gold mine? Yeah, they're kind of
1: like, you know, the size of a double decker bus, or the height of a double decker bus. Okay, fine.
0: Well that's not bad for your mind, that's just bad if it goes over yeah. you. So, so basically, so where are we on that? Are we on the good that we got the productivity benefits, but now there's no jobs? Or well, yeah, because where, you come across quite like
1: angsty. I don't. I, I am anxious about it. I, I I found maybe maybe I wasn't. I just found I wasn't sure what the economic you know whether whether economics was just knew about this and was just quite kind of sanguine about it. Because yeah. I cause the thing the thing uh, the thing I found striking. So you know we we th- you think about mining and manufacturing and a lot of the time you know you don't think about it in the same way as you think about the wonder of making a silicon chip. Okay, so back to silicon chips. You know, Moore's law, everyone's familiar with Moore's law. They're getting better and better each year at uh, cramming even more of these transistors with the upshot that you can't even see them these days. Um, And that's an obvious kind of productivity miracle, isn't it? But how about, you know, the fact that we've got ever better at getting copper out of the ground, you know, with fewer and fewer people working there um, the price, the real adjusted price, you know, kind of in labor hours has basically kind of, you know, gone down. Um, there's a, That's a productivity miracle which I had never read about before. And, you know, kind of, I don't know if I missed it, but I hadn't read about it before. And I just don't know if it's like a, a malfunction of the way that we're quite GDP focused. That means that because price, you know, is ultimately kind of the most important thing, it's in that kind of value you know, price versus importance kind of issue that, you know, Mariana Mazzucati has talked about. Yeah. So, so I, I, but yeah. it is troubling that there's, that this, I think, well, is it troubling? No, I don't know if it's necessarily troubling. I don't, I, I feel angsty about the fact that we're not kind of appreciating this enough. I suppose that's the thing. The fact that few of few of us are working in mines is great. Because you don't want to be working in a mine. Just it's not very nice. Yeah, having gone down there, it's, it's not, it's not pleasant. No one much enjoys it, Um, even now. Even now, you know, the conditions are still tough. Um, And so the fact that there's fewer people working there is great, because the conditions in mines in the UK used to be like the conditions that you see in the DRC now. You know, you see those stories about cobalt mining and artisan mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You know, that's kind of a lot, basically, what mining used to be like in this country, in, in coal mines. So great that we're not working in it. But it's just the fact that because we're not working in it, I just don't think we account for it very well. And I don't think we po- create policy for it very well, because, you know, we just we're just not as as acquainted with it. That might be that's my impression. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it so might much, be wrong. But
0: you're the, you're the you're the author. Here's another one where the, I read reading, I'm thinking, where does it come out? Which is on. So you you're quite wow about the like big mines or the like the extraction side. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the, and then you're also very wow. Again, which is why it's really fun to read, about the supply chains, about their complexity, their yeah. length, the like number of different places they like branch off into. Mm. Um, it must have been a nightmare to edit it. So I was thinking because like <laughs> you, you lop off some supply chains entire like yeah. bits and, but the um but it's kind of like and that and then so I was wrestling with are you in the end when you've gone through how amazing those are, how nobody understands actually, no single person understands how they all fit together because they can't because they're too complex. There's two lessons you could draw you could draw from that one is these are amazing because they're just so resilient they're happening without human there's like the neoliberal answer right these things are just there's a the capitalism yeah. view which is like this is just amazing what capitalism has been able to do yeah right no one ever planned this stuff yeah. it's just happened over time as we've experimented as people have thought away different ways of using things that's like amazing and the other is to be like it's not amazing it's really scary because they're really important to us. And um, if things go wrong, it's a disaster. And we have no clue what is going on. So basically, are you the, and then the answer is normally like some form of like state intervention to like get mm-hmm. some resilience. So you, are you on the amazing, it's amazing how impressive and resilient they are
1: or it's scary how fragile they are? I think it's, it's I'm, oh. Life's about choices. You, that's not, it's not about choices. Life is it's, about it's, choices. It's, it's, it's a silly question, isn't it really? Cause it's both of those. It's both of those. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. But by the same token, you know, I think it's legitimate to say that our understanding of it is incredibly primitive, yep. and under, and understanding it better yep. doesn't necessarily mean intervening. This is the thing. Would it really help? Well, I you know, understanding that if a fertilizer factory goes down, then suddenly you run out of carbon dioxide in the country, and you're not going to be able to you know kind of have the bacon that you want, which was yep. the issue that we went through in this country you know a couple of years ago. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad, would it? And having and and, and I think we're good we're good with an economics at, at at doing um, big numbers like GDP. I don't think we're very good at doing kind of relational networks. And within those supply chains, you have lots of relational networks. And I just think that our understanding of how those fit together could be better. But no, I'm mostly kind of, I just think it is amazing. I think it is amazing. And that is the power of, it's not just the power of market, it's just the power of people, isn't it? And products and and expertise um, that you can take simple stuff and turn it into some of the most complex stuff in the world and that it, it goes back to the, that kind of old Leonard Reed uh, essay, I pencil. You've probably read that, you know, in your economics classes. It's, I, I, I read that years ago and thought it was amazing. I mean, I, you know, it is amazing. Um, and the, Not everyone has read it, so you're going to have to tell people what it is. I, okay, so so it, it is this essay that was in the 1950s, I think it was. This guy, Leonard Reed, Milton Friedman got very excited about it at the time. Um, it basically was saying, I'm a pencil. So it was written as, as, in the voice of the pencil. It's not as weird as it sounds. I am a pencil. It's the best economic essay. It's one of the best economic essays uh, ever. I'm a pencil, and then I am so complex that no single person knows how to make me. And it goes through, you know, the wood in, 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 on the pencil comes from cedars that were chopped down wherever it was. This is what happens to them. They were milled, they were slated, blah, 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 blah. Here's where the graphite comes from, the lead and so on and so forth, all the way through uh, to every part of the pencil, the eraser. And it it turns out that it is one of the most complex journeys you can imagine, all for that simplest of things, a pencil. And we do that all the time for all of these different products. And no one, and the point that Leonard Reed was making is no no one in this supply chain, one, no single person understands the whole thing. And his message at the time, you know, there's two messages, one message is, um blindly that's amazing uh, the other message is well in that case there could be no single overseer who could direct it and at the time you know that was during the cold war and so milton friedman in particular was very keen to underline that message my my point in the book is well hang on there's the other message as well which is we could do with trying to understand it all a little bit better and at least making a fist of it i i think okay well, yeah. more excitement yeah what are you, uh,
0: again you're very excited are we more excited about the high tech stuff, so you've done the yeah. silicon ridiculously tiny chips, scary, yeah. don't think about them things. Yeah. Or about the actually, because ama- what's amazing about the book is it's got loads of tech in it, but some of it's really high tech. Yeah. Silicon. But some of it's just really low tech, blowing up the earth. Yeah. Just like lots of blowing up the earth going yes. on, and then digging it. Yes. So what's more amazing, the low tech scale of it that is still going on, or the high tech like? What, did you well, thinking? what are you more surprised
1: by I'm, I suppose i 'm a journalist so I kind of look for the counter intuitive stuff so I think the stuff probably the low tech stuff because um, you know the high tech stuff is pretty well covered out there i mean it's, there's plenty of that in there but the scale of the low tech stuff is the, kind of the scale of it but also I think it's also there's an element of it which is like our link with the past so salt for instance, I love because it is still you know, but the Romans had their goddess of salt. Uh, their goddess of health was salt. It was Sal- Salus, the goddess of, of, of health. So it was this icon of health and, you know, improving our lives for the Romans. They used to, to give their soldiers salt as a form of, uh, of pay. That was why, where the word salary comes from. Um, it's the fact that we still have a direct link with that. We are still using salt as the basis of our pharmaceutical and chemicals industries today. And we still do it, and we, we're kind of unaware of it. And so I think, it's, I think it's, to some extent, there's lots of stuff which is, you know, there's batteries, there's silicon chips, there's all of the high-tech stuff, which is, which is amazing. Um, but I just love the way that we're still rooted in this kind of physical universe, no less than our predecessors and our ancestors were. And I find, like, I find that more exciting as part of your getting back to our roots. It's getting back our to our deep roots. Past. Yeah, I'll, I'll, but, I'll, I'll That's good. We're grounded. grounded. So very
0: important you find yourself. Right. Let's do oil. Because most of the stuff mm. like, what do the books get written about in economics over like 50 years in on this kind of space? They basically are yes the chip stuff now, but oh this, like it's basically oil. Right. Yeah. The geopolitics and the economics of oil, if you took of like post Second World War view but more than that. Yeah. That would be that's the one that gets written. Yeah a lot the, um, now is our view that oil and gas from having done this so you cover gas in with oil yep. the, um, which is obviously particularly pressing it right now mm. but the, um, is our conclusion oil and gas don't get enough attention because they're really important and you go on to say they're going to stay important we'll come back to that mm. in, in a second but stay yep. important or that they get too much attention because basically nothing else gets discussed in economics and politics
1: um, I think well I think these days I think they used to get as kind of probably too much attention, you know, the era of the Petra state and Middle East and all of that. But I think now we're kind of swerving in the other direction and we're kind of liable to forget that these things are still really important. Um, Like I I said earlier, without, without ammonia that we get, you know, we fix the nitrogen from the air using natural gas. So without the natural gas that we're putting through fertilizer plants, Half the, half the planet's population wouldn't be here. You know, we could, we could sustain maybe a half of our population on the planet organically without artificial fertilizer made from natural gas. We would have to basically plaster over most of the fields everywhere um, with, with agriculture. You know, we, we've got, it's, it's, it's a relatively small kind of land space in our country that's covered with agriculture. Everything would have to be devoted to agriculture everything would stink because we would need to, you know, put a lot of mature manure down on the ground. So it's all kind of doable, well, apart from the half of the planet which is going to die. Um, but I don't think we are thinking enough in terms of the practicalities of the extent to which our life support system is dependent on some of this stuff. Okay. And, that's, and so that includes oil and gas. Um, None of that is to negate the fact that we need to reduce our reliance on them. It's just to be realistic about the speed with which we can do it. And can I give you one example? So, fertilizer. We're talking about fertilizer. Now, at the moment, you you take natural gas and you use that through something called steam methane reforming to get the, the nitrogen out of the air. And it's amazing. It is truly one of the most amazing things that humankind has ever done, is to fix nitrogen from the air. You could make the argument, by the way, that it was, you know, some people and some people do, that if it is a problem that we have too many people on this planet, then that's responsible for it. But that's another, there's an interesting humanist argument to have about that. Um, if you wanted to replace, so there's, there's, there's a couple of uh, fertilizer plants in this country. They're not running at the moment, by the way, um, because gas is too, is too expensive and they are turning gas into the stuff that we then um, uh, feed our plants and then consume ourselves. If you wanted to take one of those fertiliser plants, the biggest fertiliser plant in the UK, which isn't actually that big, and replace it with green ammonia. And the way you get green ammonia is you burn, you, you kind of, rather than burning natural gas, you turn a wind turbine, you get power from that, use that power to electrolyze water, and you get hydrogen from that, and then you can take that hydrogen and use it to, to get the, the nitrogen out of the air. So it's doable. So we can have green, totally green ammonia. However, if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to replace that one relatively small fertiliser plant in the northeast with green ammonia, you would need to devote the entire output of the world's biggest offshore wind farm. The entire output, which is about enough to, to power a million or more homes. The entire output of that just to replace this relatively small fertilizer plants. And that's the point, really. It's, it's understanding the scale of the challenge we've set ourselves. It's a challenge we can plausibly do, but it's a challenge that is genuinely a challenge. And I feel like only when you're kind of peering down from the bottom up, or kind of up from the bottom, do you kind of start to to see the gravity and the scale of it.
0: Right, we should definitely come back to that because that is serious. Right, let's move us into policy, but let's do a poll to finish off this. So here's the premise of the poll. Again, it's on Slido, guys, and it's hashtag, What did I say it was, material world, because we have no imagination. The um, Right, okay, here's the poll. those of you online, you can see it. So this book is so good, there's gonna be a second edition, oh, right, in like 10 years, okay? <laughs> let's say 10 years to keep this simple. Publishers, you can do it quicker, but that's commercial decisions. So, so it's been only 10 years. What is the extra chapter that's going to get added? What's the material that isn't in here that should have been in? So hydrogen. I hope you all kind of know. Like you yeah. just got an example of why yeah. hydrogen. Hydrogen is be, just pretty important. Which is he's got. There's loads of things that we want off hydrocarbons. We kind of need hydrogen to do, and so maybe it becomes more important. Gold because um, Ed hates the gold. but the punters love the gold over like millennia and so he'll just crack basically and be like okay you can have the gold chapter people that's you can that's trolling me that's That's right um cobalt because we do need it for all the batteries and stuff and and the phones but and but unlike lithium it's harder to get hold of from multiple places so like the congo problem yeah basically right um
1: nickel why nickel Nickel's really, really important for uh, both batteries and for steel making, so it's an important part of the steel making process, okay. but also it is the oomph in your electric car battery. The oomph. the oomph. Is that the technical term? You do that. OK, right, good. Uranium? Yeah, I mean, I love uranium.
0: What's the case? Why might it be? I don't want to
1: skew this survey. No, no,
0: but factual information to provide the voters to make a decision.
1: Well, nuclear power okay. is, is pretty Fine. important. OK, right, OK. There's, it's, not, it's, there's it's, not another it's, secret it's, one. If, if OK, OK. Ura- no, but I don't want to make a hard sell for uranium. Okay, fine, fine, fine. It's okay. pretty good. Let's keep it at the
0: right level. It's pretty, like I'm, neutral, I'm neutral. Pretty, pretty good. Right, okay, and then the last option is there's not going to be a second edition because the de-growthers are going to are going to turn out to be right, yeah. and we're going to dematerialize, and we're going to stop using all this stuff. No more phones, people. Not the food. We want the food, but the other stuff. Um, and so there won't be another edition, because even though people have been predicting dematerialization for donkey's years, it hasn't remotely turned up. But now it is going to. Uh, so it'll all get socially awkward. And then your next book will actually be how dematerialization happened. So the those tri- are our the tri- choices. Tri- the, um, uh, does anyone in the room want to have a punt at what they think is the answer? Anyone? Very bold. Cobalt. Cobalt is being suggested here. Cobalt. Gold. Is that just because you want to you want to not do gold. <laughs> is, that, is that a bit of a Bitcoiny kind of anti-inflation? Yeah, thing?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Okay. Right. Sand? He's only got sand. He's only got, we've sand, got sand. Right. Take okay. It. Let's. We've finished voting, and it is a clear position. Although I think you've kind of swung it towards uranium, but not enough to get it. Oh, God, I mentioned it. it went up again, but not enough to get it over the line. It's so quickly, quickly, quickly bring the poll, poll result up before uranium there. wins, because I think the answer is actually clear. Ooh, I think. Hi- right, I right. think hydrogen. hydrogen. Okay. People are generally happy right. with that. Are you happy with how democracy played out? First time for everything. The, um, like, right, okay, let's do policy because we've got 15 minutes yeah. to do policy. Let's do three things. Let's do net zero because you've raised that a few times and it's like a really big deal from the book. Yeah. yeah big deal for the planet as well, but it's a big deal that comes out of the book. Awesome. Then let's deal how, about how chilled we should be about scarcity.
1: Hmm.
0: Like, because I'd say you're on the David Cameron chillaxed <laughs> end of the market uh, as he was today. <laughs> then it turns out there are downsides to being too chillaxed people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then we're going to do the big one, which is, are we or are we not going to have more British mines? Who wants a mine? OK, that's going to be really upset, everyone. And then I've got a quick, kind of, quick-fire round for you on your perkiest things. Good deal? Right, net zero. Here's the thing that I'd... So there's lots... in The book is really good on this. Like, you'll learn loads of things about the net zero transition you haven't thought about unless you're spending your life working on it. Um and the book is really good at saying if you want this to happen we need to do these things right so it is quite it's like positive about what need the change that needs to happen if you want this and you probably heard you heard quite a bit about tonight but the book will definitely be used by opponents of net zero to say it's impossible basically because like the new, like we're, we've, it's not fashionable to be like climate deniers anymore. They've all had to kind of be cancelled and go away. So the cancel, the, the new climate deniers are the deniers. It's possible, right? It's all too hard. Uh, we'll never get there by 2050. Maybe, maybe you know, a long time after that. Uh, but like, kind of all stop pretending. And they will. They are. Those people are going to read this book, being like, I knew it. I knew I was right. All these hippies, like, we're going to be doing all this stuff for you. So where are we on the like? Where, where have you come out on that? On the like, you've given ammunition to the like net zero like haters, but actually you're quite into like how we're going to make it happen.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm torn, I'm torn on it because yeah, I could, I could see how you could look at the reliance on certain things here, look at the difficulty, and decide that it's basically, yeah, it's impossible. It's, it's, it's but I don't, the, at but no point, like- I don't think it's impossible. I think it's still. It, I just think it's that we have slightly kind of, we've slightly ignored the scale of the challenge. That's it. Uh, we've enormously ignored the scale of the challenge, and um, I think that, yeah, I. I, I would cast it okay slightly differently, which is to say. What what you will kind of learn from this, which I which was a surprise to me, is I kind of thought the industrial revolution was you know, a few discrete events. And I thought it was primarily about coal, and then it was maybe about iron as well. And then, you know, that followed the looms and all that stuff and the spinning jenny and all that stuff. Um, what, what kind of blew me away was the extent to which this was a revolution in so many different spheres. You know, we had this long-standing challenge to try to invent or to reinvent concrete. You know, we, we had challenges uh, to try to get soda ash from salt. There were challenges to try and make aluminium.
0: Why do we need that?
1: So soda ash is one of the most... I mean, I know I could go through this book and say it's so underrated, but there's another really underrated thing. Uh, we, we use, for instance, to make glass, you need soda ash. You need it to do a, a hell of a lot of different kind of chemical uh, conversions. So soda ash and caustic soda, without those two things, you just wouldn't have any of the products you're touching these days because you wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to make them. You wouldn't be able to take lithium and turn it into lithium carbonate. You wouldn't be able to take lithium and turn it into lithium hydroxide. You need these chemicals. We're screwed without them. So the industrial revolution, when I look back and, you know, through these prisms, was so many different challenges and advances that we made over the course of a few centuries. It was extraordinary. It wasn't just about coal and iron and things like that. And, and you've got one of the country's leading economic historians in the audience to hear you tell. Well, OK, or so. so <laughs> sorry, no stress for you, though. But, but the the exciting thing about where we are now is we need to try to reimagine all of those processes in ways that aren't carbon intensive. And that's an extraordinary big challenge, but it's far more far reaching and far broader than I kind of expected when I, you know, my shallow knowledge of net zero before I started looking through this prism. And that's exciting, like that is genuinely exciting. When else in history have we been living through an industrial revolution that we kind of were aware of at the time? and i think that's productivity enhancing i think it's exciting i think there's opportunities for making money i think there's opportunities for for making the world a better place and i think that's i like I, that's the side that i'm kind of most prized by and i understand people will look at this and they'll say okay it's just too difficult that's not the message of the book the message of the book is it is difficult but it's an opportunity and we just need to have our eyes open to where those challenges are we've done it before we can do it again but be, be in no doubt about how the scale of compressing that what, into short period. What's the hardest one?
0: What's the one where you're looking at being like, God. I'm excited
1: about most of them, but this one is like anxiety inducing. God, I don't know. I mean, quite a few of them. Okay. Um, Remember yeah, time for that. Steel, steel is hard at scale. The point is it's all, it's, it's scale. It's, it's scale. The reason, the reason this deals with these commodities, which, which you know, are, are big things, it's not rare earths, it's not cobalt either, is it's scale. We need to be able to not, make, not only make these things, but do it on a massive scale. That was the point with concrete. You know, you can make lots of nice forms of concrete that are carbon negative, but it takes a lot of effort to do it. The reason concrete is successful, as one of the most amazing innovations ever, is that anyone can buy, buy a bag of cement and go out and make concrete. That stuff matters like enormously for changing the, the world. Scale matters because we're, that's how we're cheap and that's how we're rich. That's exactly. Basically. That's why we have standards. Great.
0: Okay. The um. Well, not great. Like it's all very difficult, but kind of get on, <laughs> get on and solve it, everybody. Okay. So that's net zero. Let's do your chilledness about scarcity. So yeah, chilled. It, with, yeah. In general, you're just very chilled. We're not going to run out of this stuff. We become very productive. It's uh, and we'll keep becoming more productive. We,
1: I mean, it's it's a finite planet by definition, of course of course there is only a limited amount of you know copper and, and and iron whatever that there is in the planet's crust we only have one planet i mean until you know if you're starting unless you're thinking about going to mars and other places uh, and you know that's a legitimate question that i sometimes get asked um, but our ability to to just get better and better at getting ever less promising ore and squeezing metal out of it is extraordinary it does have the downside of like i say making these enormous holes um, which is a pretty big downside But by the same token, we have had so many, so many, so many predictions that we are about to run out of X and Y, so many, so many. And they've all been wrong, they've all been wrong. And it may well be that, I mean, if we really, really, really push things, we could start to kind of run out of copper within about kind of 400 years, maybe. But like, I mean, you know, everyone stopped caring once we got over hundred. <laughs> yeah, hundreds. That 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 that. <laughs> they can't deal, it? with like, you know. But uh, yeah, by then, okay. You know, Let's do two to counters know. to the chillaxing.
0: Yeah. So the first is um, geopolitics matters not just is it in the crust somewhere, uh, and history says wars get fought over this stuff. That's what a lot of colonialism is about, which you cover in the the book. So even if it's theoretically abundant, are we sure that it isn't it isn't scarce in reality for some parts of the world?
1: Yeah, I think I mean I think that's 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 legitimate, and that gets you to this this broader thing, which is that we, it's been very easy for us not to think about that stuff in a kind of globalized you know un, era of untrammeled yep. globalization. Um, this stuff doesn't matter if you know that you can just you know pay a few bucks and ship it over from wherever it is, China or Russia, or wherever it might be, in a different world suddenly it matters enormously. And suddenly something that has low value right now is, is enormously, value. you know, we're seeing this with gas, aren't we? Um, but, you know, imagine, imagine that uh, with all of these materials for the most part, I mean, sand less so perhaps, salt less so, because we, we, we're pretty good at getting salt. But, um, and, and right now I think that, you know, for the geopolitical, geopolitical perspective, What's striking to me, so I knew all the stories when I started researching this about rare earths and how China had a massive stranglehold on rare earths. I hadn't had, I hadn't realised that China has not a stranglehold but an enormous dominance when it comes to copper refining. Yeah. So copper, this you know, incredibly important metal that we all depend on, and like I say, possibly the most underrated material of all, um, because everything, you know, the electrical revolution was built on copper. Um, a lot of copper comes out of the ground and then gets shipped to China to refine, just like with, you know, with lithium as well. A lot of right. lithium comes out of the ground, gets shipped to China to 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 be Why refined. Why aren't the
0: Yanks building copper refining capacity?
1: They they, they do a fair bit in, in the U.S. Oh, actually, that's big, one of the one of the enough. interesting stories. are kind of you know geological abundance. The U.S. really has a really rich geological yeah, abundance, much more than China, much more blessed than China, especially when you add on like frac, fracking and. Uh, and stuff like that, which, which, by the way, again, has been one of the most extraordinary changes in the economic story for for decades. Fracking is a massive, massive deal, like it or not, Um, and, you know, there's a bit about that. But yeah, it's the the China side of things, the the Chinese dominance. And there's a great story in there, which I won't kind of blather about because we haven't got much time, about uh, where Britain ended up at the start of the World World War, uh, the First World War, because we were really reliant on Germany for some of our optical glass. The reliance that we now have on China for pretty much all of these products is far, far greater than Britain's reliance on Germany for certain kind of key products before the First World War. And, you know, I'm just I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. So you're not chillaxed about the geopolitics, even though you're chillaxed no. about the digging potential? Yeah, I think so. We can, okay. we'll, we'll get the stuff. But right. The Let's do then and wrap up on this, which is mining in Britain. So... We've stopped doing lots of it except you're reminding us on salt, and we can still dig up some sand. Yep, we could do a lot more of it. Yeah, so the, um obviously, there's a d- the discussion today on the um uh, North Sea oil fields with Keir Starmer saying mm. he doesn't want any more of that. Also, mm. the SMP's position, I don't think it's the government's position. Mm. Um, you had the wrap about the coal mine in Cumbria. Um, some people would like to mine basically all of Cornwall except for the cute fishing villages. <laughs> the, um, uh, I'll take
1: them down too <laughs> okay so come on so where are we on the like some of the some of the should grades we be mining in britain some of the grades in cornwall of copper yeah. are better than the grades you get in that's Chile. more like that's the patriotism we wanted at the beginning british copper good copper um but then but you know do people in our lovely green and pleasant land want to have it dug up what do you think and, of course we don't. You of course don't want we it. don't. Oh no, but would I like it? Should, should we do it for I, I mean, resilience,
0: for economic benefits, for? What should we do? Some people are nodding. Some like, there's some good neoliberals here. They want the, <laughs> they want Cornwall Doug.
1: Mine it. Um, oh, I'm God. off to
0: Cornwall the weekend, by the way, but for rock climbing, not mining. Before anyone. Yeah, I, I,
1: no, uh, no, no, because it's, it's better elsewhere, and it, it's about it's about building alliances. So, you know, in the end, if we can rely on somewhere else, you know. The U.S. has quite a lot of copper to do a bit yeah. more mining, but the problem is that it's not just obviously we don't want to, you know, tab massive holes in through Cornwall, um, but in Chile they're now starting to say, "Oh, hang on, exactly, I'm not sure anymore." And so, so the, one of the biggest blockages we're going to have in the next few years is about our willingness to explode more of the earth because none of us like that idea, but we're going to have to do it yeah, if so we're going to get the just copper. like net zero, we're,
0: we're all committed to doing it. We all need to do our bit of the
1: digging. Remind yeah.
0: everyone where else is potentially in line for digging
1: Cornwall. Oh well, North S- there's there's well there's North Sea. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I thought I'm, you I'm wanted so to dig a bit of Derbyshire. Um, there's well we are you know but we are mining. There's one of we the are. biggest mining projects uh, right now is 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 just in Cleveland uh, in the UK. We've got uh, which is which is something called polyhalite. It's a type of uh, salt which can be used as a fertilizer. They they sprinkle this stuff on the quartz at Wimbledon. Of all things, and we are. Why do we do, only, why do, we his, we do okay, that? Okay, no, here's an area where Britain is world leading, literally world leading. There is nowhere else in the world that has discovered as rich a seam of this stuff, polyhalite. Nowhere else. It's literally yes. this geological uh, one off. The problem is no one's very sure whether it's, it's not any good. For no one's sure whether it's any good. Why are we
0: sprinkling it on the
1: ground? Because um, it's it's, alongside other fertilizers, it really helps. So it's, okay. it's, a, it's, an, it's an extra kind of additive. The bad
0: news um, is that no one else cares about lawns or tennis on lawns, apart from the British, yeah. so we can't export any of this stuff.
1: But we, we do a bit of it. There's a bit okay. of gold. There's a bit of, I think, uh, tungsten. We've got a bit of tungsten That's in this good. country, but right. not that
0: much. Let's give you a vote on mining Britain. So here's your four options. So, yes, we want... To, this is not just Cornwall before, this is like Britain. Do you want some mining in Britain? Yes, we want those jobs. Yes, we want the security of not having to import this kind of dangerous American copper or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, no, we don't like the holes in the ground; they're quite bad for the environment. I love my green rolling hills. They. Um, uh, no, basically, it's the last point. It's a bargain. We can just buy it from abroad. Why wouldn't we do that? And then we can just keep hollering all over the place. The. Um, so while you're, I th- so I'm putting you in. F- you in can four. I, So
1: so yeah. Um, what did I want to say? Um, yeah, the, there's not North Sea oil is is, is, is a tricky one. Um, I don't think I don't think there's an easy answer to that. It's not there's it's a very mature uh,
0: kind of because basin. We talk that through because that like so your book says basically we're going to need oil and gas for a long time. People yeah. stop pretending it's going to disappear by like twenty thirty five. Yeah. Then you're also like the kind of oil we can get out of the North Sea might not be any use anyway. It's basically? quite it's
1: quite it's quite heavy and um, there's there's probably better oil elsewhere. But in the you know in the meantime, okay, a bit of it um but the thing yeah the thing i was going to say about the the, the um cumbrian coal mine yeah. that is weird which bit that's weird it's just weird what, the mine? it's mine? weird that it's been approved because we are right. even as we are approving a mine specifically for coking coal to be used in blast furnaces we are in the process of trying to shut down the blast, the blast furnaces for so what's the strategy what's the strategy it's not clear there is any strategy there and we approve that and yet we're kind of not sure where we are on on, on steel, so okay. th- it's weird. There's weirdness. Let's
0: see where everyone has come out on the digging up the country side of the market. On the
1: look, i surprise oh, surprised. Wow,
0: that is that is wow. That's gonna get us a lot of complaints, people. <laughs> I'm just gonna say I'm gonna get a lot. I'm just gonna blame you. Lot.
1: Isn't the mood turning? I mean, maybe the, the mood is light turning. If you do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, there's dig, Definitely dig, dig some strong the support for digging over here. The, um, okay, and then everyone can get your like midlife crisis, get their hands dirty, <laughs> you know, get a bit of you know back I, to I, nature. I welcome you. In the old days, it was the good process. life and a bit of farming in their backyard with some dodgy chickens. But now, we're <laughs> all going down the pits. The, um, right. The, um, okay. On that slight bombshell of a uh, election yeah, result, the, um, I did not see that coming from you. lot. I, didn't, I thought you were all a bit, you know hippier than that, to be honest, but we've, we've attracted a tough crowd today. Right, we're over time, so I want to say thank you to Ed, not only for writing the book, but for sharing his materials with you today, so let's give him a clap for um, that. It's, it's definitely, I'm the, one of the lessons I've taken away from this isn't actually about materials, it's about there must be loads of really good books like this waiting to be written that aren't just the same old, same old economics books, so any of you that have got a book in you, that's like tangential to the world of economics but isn't like smack on the usual stuff let's have it because that'll make a fun event and you can bring along I don't know whatever it, it can be like you know I don't know it's animals it needs to be stuff okay we want stuff so you can bring this stuff along but we can do that so have a good night everybody enjoy when you're going home look carefully for the copper the sand the iron. You probably won't see the oil, but you'll be in the cars. You can eat the salt. Don't eat the lithium. It'll make you happy, but in the long run, it's not a good diet. Uh, And Ed loves the copper, because he's obviously got some kind of fetish uh, for that. So thank you for coming, everyone. Have a good evening. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this Resolution Foundation event. You can find more episodes and the latest living standards research on the Resolution Foundation website.